guys and welcome back to another episode of the finding your freedom podcast with me madeline bailey i'm still testing out if that if that sounds right let me know let me know what you think um yeah today i'm just being called to take a breath at the beginning if anyone wants to with me or skip over this part or whatever you're feeling but i'm gonna start with a deep breath in through my nose and exhale grounding down into this space to tell you about the amazing episode we have coming for you today but first just going to give a small life update all things finding your freedom podcast update and then yeah tell you about our guest for today so as far as a life update, um, some of the you that follow me on Instagram <laughs> can maybe tell that the past two months have been especially crazy for me and really since the end of July and August and I've stopped traveling and having things to go to on the weekends, a port in, um, a memorial service for my uncle, I saw my first friend get married last weekend so there's been um just a lot going on in my life um a lot of I don't want to say emotionally draining but emotionally full experiences experiences that elicit a lot of emotions so I'm really just in the process right now of sitting with those and sitting with some emotions that have come through before that around, you know, all the, all the bullshit (laughs) that we're sitting through this year, all the lessons we're being forced to learn, all the ways we're being forced to surrender, and for me personally, just the grief of missing my little home and safe space of New Orleans. So yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces and parts, but I'm actually starting to feel a lot more grounded and centered and just having a lot more time to ground down in a routine and enjoy fall in New England and yeah just really ground to my home in a way that I really feel like I haven't in my first almost five months in Boston so I'm excited for that and really excited to finally start working and offering a lot of things I've been planning Uh, since July and hopefully those will be out either next month December or January whenever whenever it works out and I know it will be released when it's meant to Um, along with that I'm toying with the idea of how many spots I'll release but I'm definitely thinking of at least opening one coaching spot soon at a really discounted rate um, as my first coaching client and really excited to step into that role and just help you embody your freest self, help you start doing the work, quote the work, help you to become more aware, help you to learn to have emotional intelligence, to remove the blocks in your life so you can be fulfilled in following your dreams, whether it's in your career, relationships, friendships, um, all of the above and more. So yeah, I'm really excited about that, Um, and I just wanted to plug on this episode 
that if you've been listening to the show, if you like the show, if you're excited that there shouldn't be any more breaks for the rest of the year and we should be going week for week as something to look forward to, I would really, really appreciate leaving a five-star review. Um, And if you leave a written review, I will send you a personal voice memo giving you all the compliments and love that you need. And in 2020, who does not need that? Um, and when we get to a hundred reviews, I might make it 50 later, but I'm going to start with a hundred. When we get to a hundred reviews, I will be doing some sort of giveaway. So yeah, leave a review if you like the podcast, a five-star review, of course. Um, yeah, so lots of chaos, lots of moving parts and good chaos. And there will be this more consistently and a lot of great great guests moving forward so for today's topic we're going to be talking about all things drinking drinking in our culture emotions and drinking and what it means to be sober curious and I'm really really excited about this episode and think that me and my friend Alex who was on the show did a really freaking beautiful job with this, if I do say so myself. Just really taking an honest look at at drinking and some of our cultural norms around drinking, some of the lingo around drinking and emotions and stress, and some ways that drinking, um, you know, drinking daily or drinking a little bit more often can inhibit our our growth and our spiritual growth and yeah, just really looking at it in a way that's not shame or judgment, more of a way that, you know, makes you curious and ask questions about your own life. So I'm really, really excited to have this episode out and to encourage you to just listen with an open mind and open ear and soak in all the goodness that we have. So our guest for today is my friend Alexandra Nolte. Feels weird saying Alexandra because we have been friends since we were eight years old. Um, Just another side note about the interview before I get into her bio. She she is completely sober. I'm someone I guess I would call um, (laughs) mindfully drinking. Um, Very aware of my drinking. Don't drink very often and do not drink when I'm in a negative emotional state, quote, negative emotional state. Um, So, yeah. So, for Alex Nolte. So, Alexander Nolte has gone by many titles over the years. At the birth of her spiritual journey, she became a yoga teacher and began to build a brand specific to yoga. Then her spirituality flourished and she began to realize that yoga was just a magnificent gateway to the soul. This is how yogini poetry was born. To this day, sharing her poetry is important and central to her divine purpose in a way she expresses herself. Then she realized there was more than just me the whole time. Alex Nolte is now a woman's coach, along with being a yoga teacher. She attended East Carolina University, where she graduated summa cum laude with a BA in ancient history and philosophy. Um, during this time was when she became a 
a registered yoga teacher. She then attended Florida State University and attained a master's degree in philosophy. Along with being a yoga teacher, Alex is a woman's coach offering weekly and monthly monthly coaching programs that focus on mindfulness and community. In addition to weekly and monthly coaching programs, Alex facilitates sober women's group called Clear. If you're looking to try a 30-day no alcohol or to start your journey with sobriety with a coach, please contact Alex for more information. Alex's goal is to help create a mindful world of powerful women. Alex says, we are in this together. So yeah, I will have all of her links in this episode and definitely check Alex out and I will lead us into the episode. So the first question that I ask everyone on the podcast is, what have you been finding your freedom from lately? Wow. It's such (laughs) a good question. (laughs) Um, I think I've been seeking to find my freedom from external validation and trying to appease other people and falling into what society wants from me as a woman. Um, And I think choosing not to drink is one of the most powerful steps we can take in order to find our freedom in this lifetime. Um, Yeah. Is that a good response? (laughs) Yeah, that, that works. (laughs) I, I think like, I think finding your freedom from validation from other people, it's like such a stepwise process because there'll be sometimes where I'm like, Oh, I've healed enough and I don't need external validation. And then it's like, you just get roped back into it and it's kind of like, a constant process and with alcohol oh, yeah. and freedom I feel like it's like you're your most free self when you're your most self and with with alcohol there it's kind of like a fuzzy layer between you and like your true self yeah and it's it's interesting too because people have this conception that they drink because they want to feel free they don't want to feel guilty anymore they want to be able to dance and not be embarrassed. They want all these things and they're seeking freedom, but the action of drinking is actually taking away from your freedom. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions surrounding alcohol. But it's interesting too, because I think people know this deep down, you know, that they're not being their most authentic selves when they're getting wasted at a bar. And yet it's the freedom, it's their true self that they're seeking. So it's this really interesting thing that's happening and it's so, so common. Um, And that's why I'm excited to share my story today because I don't think I'm alone in this. And that's one of the key features of my story is I'm not alone. Yeah, I think it's so interesting and we'll definitely like dive into some of my story with alcohol too. But one of the things I like when I just started becoming more aware in general is that I just realized that I was using alcohol to not um, to not be like nervous talking to people and then also 
to allow myself to be sexual and Mm -hmm. like you said to go out and dance and not care about what people think and I realized I don't you know I don't need alcohol to to be free in my sexuality to be myself around people and to dance however the fuck I want to um and I realized that a lot of the people that I felt nervous being around and needed to drink to be around weren't the people that I wanted to be around in general. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think as human beings, one of the primary things we're craving is connection. And I think you said it perfectly when you said, I wanted to be able to talk to people more freely. Um, and I think it's natural to want that. But when we... Um, dial down who we are, which is one of the things alcohol really does. We become more of a shell of ourselves. Our ego is driving, you know, all those things are true when we're drinking and um, we're not able to connect with people in the way we want to, in the way we crave all of us as human beings. That's something we all want. Completely. And it it just, you know, I, I still drink now, but it makes me so sad that we're all we're all searching for these like real connection activities and especially as a young adult like the suggestion always is like let's go grab a drink let's go grab a drink and it's you know I just like want there to be a different alternative for that and connecting with people yeah and when you quit drinking you quit you realize that there is it's just it's not the paradigm you know it's not like you said people want to just fall into this idea that we need to go grab a drink in order to have fun or that in order to have a party, we have to be drinking. But these are all just societal norms. And one of my goals um, as this, uh, as being a sober woman becomes a cornerstone in my life. One of my goals is to create these alternatives for young women, for people in their twenties that are looking to date and have fun and do all these things is um, showing through just living my life that, all of this is possible without alcohol. Definitely. And we'll definitely get into your story now, but that just made me think of this like one, one comment I had, um, Halloween's around the corner. And of course it's going to be different with, with COVID, but I think this is kind of like a good time for that to be coming out. Um, cause even now I want to go to events and like be my wild self twerk if I want, like do what I want. <laughs> But it's like I, I even – I feel like I can't do that unless I'm, like, drinking because everyone's like, why is she acting so crazy? Or they just assume you're drunk when you're having, like, a good time and being, like, out there, I guess. Yeah, and that goes back to validation, right? Like, we, we worry so much what other people think, and I am definitely 100% – and the people closest to me in my life will tell you this, that I'm still working on external validation. Like you said, it's a very step-by-step process. Um, But yeah, events is a big thing. I remember in the first weeks I was sober, I was working with a coach and I I just kept telling her, I can't think about forever. I can't, I can't even think about this year. How about all the weddings and the vacations and everything? And it's funny how with COVID, all those things go to the wayside anyway. Um, So it's an interesting year to get sober. But um, yeah, events is something that people really worry about. And I think it's because these are times where we're around other people that we're looking to make these connections with. So there's a, there's a lot of these underlying things that we're searching for when we start to freeze up thinking about not drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting when you, 
I think I've experienced too with like moving to a new place and you think you're not looking for validation and then you move to a different type of place. And then it's, it's hard to, you know, to a certain degree, it's like, it's hard to not search for validation when you don't know other people (laughs) at all yet. And just through this conversation, I'm like thinking of the ways that I've searched for validation, but. Well, I think it's easy to confuse validation with connection because of, um, we live in a very ego driven society, unfortunately, a lot of the time. And I think with this ego that says I need to look this way or I need to do these things comes the validation. Um, but it's when we really let the ego take the back seat, let our higher self come to the foreground that we make connections. So I think if we start to think of the higher self in relation to connections and the lower self, or my teacher would say the lower dog or the ego in um, relation to validation. Yeah. And I think at the core of that, even just reflecting on what you said, like said, it's just, I want to just be accepted for who I am and being in a new place. It's scary to think, you know, what if I'm not accepted for who I am in this job, in this place? And I think, yeah, it's scary, but the only other alternative is to live as you are not, (laughs) which isn't a good option. Yeah. I actually said to my partner last night, I told him, um, I'm constantly looking to live how I am now. No, I'm sorry. I'm constantly looking to live somewhere in between where I am now and where I'm seeking to be. So like I recognize that there's a lot of stuff I'm still working on and there will be stuff I'm still working on for the rest of my life. Sobriety allows me to be clear on that and see it in a whole new way. But I also recognize that I'm not completely living in my higher self all the time. And I'm seeking to live in between those two, if that makes sense. And that can be a hard place to balance, but it's a beautiful place to to live. Yeah. And filled with self-compassion too. But I just wanted to kind of start out. So how did you get into spirituality and then how did kind of alcohol play a role in that story? Yeah. So I think I had, again, an interesting but not full unique experience. And I think you might have had something similar, not to speak for you. But half of my family um, was religious and Catholic, and the other half was agnostic. And so I had this interesting, interesting experience growing up where I really had a choice. Or at least I thought I did. <laughs> and I remember having this dis- distinct experience when I was young and my my grandma had given me this cross and I guess my mom had put it up in my room you know because my mom I think always did a great job of giving me the opportunity to choose what was best for me even at a young age but I remember taking the cross down and hiding it in my sock drawer I'm like "Mm, this isn't for me (laughs) because something about it just really turned me off um So fast forward to college where I'm cut from the softball team and being an athlete is what has defined pretty much my entire adolescence all all the way through high school. And when I lost this identity of being an athlete, I didn't know what to do. It was, it was an identity crisis. Um, I think we go through several of these in our lives, but this was probably the most prominent in my life so far is I lost who I was when I was, you know, in high school before college. So I, um, I wandered into a yoga class and that became my physical activity and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And um, I did my training like two years later, 
I finished my training, my yoga teacher training in 2017. And obviously throughout that, I learned a little bit about yogic spirituality and just really fell in love with everything surrounding yoga. And as I started to practice, I still was really struggling with my spirituality because as I was coming into my own, I kind of decided that I'm atheist, that I, you know, I don't want anything to do. Because to me, being atheist was being against organized religion, which I saw so many issues with in my family and society. Um, so it wasn't until after practicing yoga for several years that I started to come into my spirituality. And I really credit a lot of that to my uh, my teacher and coach Leela Dilla, who's awesome. And I, I went to a retreat with her a couple years ago and it was, it was shortly after my parents had separated and it was a really transitional time in my life. I was actually sober for the first time then when I started working with her and I went on this yogic retreat, which is a really easy place to fall into spirituality, right? Because you're just in this perfect Bahamas beachfront setting. Um, But for the first time, I was starting to grip something spiritual and related to God even that wasn't this um, Christian idea that I kind of only interacted with my whole life. Um, And through that, I started to realize that I can build my own spirituality and that I can take bits and pieces from everything. Um, in fact, I think my only other encounter with religion was when I was in college. I went to this Buddhist meditation group because I was just all things yoga, right? And I distinctly remember wanting one of the pillars of Buddhism being like not to ingest things that harm you, like alcohol being one of them. And I was just like, yep, yep, this isn't for me. You know, <laughs> like I can't do that. Um, so anyways, I started to develop bits and pieces of my own spirituality. Um, and fast forward to the beginning of this year, when I started working with Leela more in depth and more one-on-one, it was then that I finally realized that quitting alcohol was the next logical step, not just in my life, but in my spirituality. And it was when I, um, started working with Leela personally one-on-one that I was probably at the spiritual low of my life which I think really, truly was the catalyst for my sobriety. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, this story, it's like taking me back to like all the moments of kind of finding my spirituality too. And you're right in that we, we both grew up in this, some Christianity and then some whatever we want to do type of mindset. And it was always like this thread that ran through my life. And I think it was like so liberating having the chance to like make spirituality, whatever you want to make it now. Like spirituality to me is like, now it's like moon ritual. It's witchcraft. It's like whatever I want. I like get to be the Harry Potter nerd girl, but now I'm an adult. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, (laughs) But it's, it's cool to just like see how the pieces kind of like all fall together. Um, But yeah, I'm interested to kind of hear, so you said that alcohol was like the next logical step. So kind of in your journey, like what was happening with you and alcohol at that time? And I know that you had quit the year before. So if you want to kind of like expand on that. Yeah, so it was a little bit before that retreat I was talking about that I had quit drinking for the first time.
Sorry, I'm going to start over that part because Merle walked up. <laughs> Go lie down, please. Yeah, I've had a couple dog distractions in my podcast, so it's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah, his name's Merle. He's great. Lay down, please. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the f- so the first time I quit drinking, I like to really emphasize in my story, too, that it took more than once. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a back-to-back thing. Like, the first time I quit drinking, I got out of a very short relationship I don't even know if I would call it that it was more of a dating situation and a guy had told me I hope you find yourself at the bottom of a bottle and I was like oh shit (laughs) and then I was like well I'm not letting that happen screw you um so I quit really for him in some screwed up reason even though I never wanted to see him again I really disliked him (laughs) I um I quit for him because I had a point to prove and I didn't even make it three months because I kept hanging out with people that were drinking. I kept going out to bars. Um, I kept doing everything I was doing. I was drinking. I wasn't doing any of the spiritual work. I wasn't, importantly, unpacking any of my traumas that have occurred um, throughout our life that we all experience. I wasn't unpacking any of that shit. So I was just not in the mind space to quit drinking the first time. Um, And then... I guess it was about two years later, I I was in a long-distance relationship um, with a guy in Florida, and it was uh, volatile in a lot of ways, and it, it, it was both our faults. It was just one of those things that we were both forcing to work, and it just wasn't, and as a result of that relationship, I was feeling just immense, Madeline, like immense amounts of guilt and shame um but mostly guilt and uh it manifested in like physical sickness i um i was falling to my knees praying in the shower for god just to take the guilt away from me and it just wasn't going away and the only thing that numbed it was was booze and um so for a few months there, almost every night, I would, I wouldn't drink to the point of getting blackout drunk or anything like that. I think we read about a lot of people's stories where they just started blacking out every night. And that wasn't me, you know, but I'd always have a glass or two of wine or sometimes a bottle to just take the edge off because I just couldn't feel anymore. And um, I recently did an interview with Traver Boehm. And I think he put it really well when he said, you know, Sometimes our capacity is a seven and we're out of 12. And I really believe that's where I was. Um, But spiritually, I was so disconnected, to go back to your question. Um, I wasn't doing any of the things that made me spiritually happy. I wasn't practicing yoga. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't doing anything. I was so disconnected from God and my spirituality um, because I was just so focused on the guilt and getting rid of it. Um, and because of this, I saw it more one-on-one work with my teacher as a form of, uh, therapy. Um, so when I started that, she suggested that I just try 30 days, no alcohol. And when I did that, I slowly started to see things getting better and how the bandaid I was putting on my problem 
was really just making the wound worse. And shortly after getting sober, not only did I see my spiritual life starting to grow, but my emotional life fully shifted because I left that relationship, which I hadn't had space for in my soul for a long time. And I was holding on and that's what was causing so much pain. So I think what's interesting about my story, but I don't think is unique to me again, is that I didn't hit rock bottom in any sort of stereotypical alcoholic sort of way because I I don't identify as an alcoholic. I hit rock bottom in a very spiritual sense. For someone who had been developing their spirituality and experimenting with sobriety on and off, I just, I hit rock bottom spiritually. I sought help. And when I started unpacking my traumas, I realized that of the things that had to go in my life, alcohol was the first one of them. Yeah, I I think that's so interesting. And I, I, you know, when I was younger, of course, we were drinking to blackout. And that's that was a whole different issue that someone should have addressed <laughs> at the time. But yeah. um, for me, after after college, I had like a similar type of experience where I was drinking, you know, like one glass of wine a night because I couldn't deal with all the anxiety I felt of, you know, what's next? What does the future hold? Why am I still on the Outer Banks? And, you know, all of these questions that I didn't feel like I had the capacity to hold. And like your story too, um, I didn't get the answers and I didn't get better until I quit drinking for a month um, and was able to to be clear enough and to to actually go into all the mess that I was feeling. Um, but I definitely just have such compassion for anyone that's like starting that journey because there was a lot of shit there that had not been felt or experienced my whole life. Um, yeah, unpacking traumas. And I, I really just did it for the first time um, this year is something I would not want to do alone. (laughs) And I'm so grateful that I did it alongside a coach and, um, and the work continues, you know, I think what the great thing about therapy and coaching is, is that it gives us a lot of tools for us to implement the rest of our lives. But I think it's really important. And one of the key things about my sobriety is that it has to happen alongside unpacking trauma. And as human beings, we're experiencing traumas all the time. Some are big, some are small. Um, but we have to recognize when they're happening so we can unpack them. But they're always going to happen and there's always going to be more. And I think a really key thing to staying sober or sober curious is is continuing to unpack our traumas and not being ashamed to talk about them. Yeah, it's super interesting. Like once you you start the work and you, you know, develop a capacity to feel all those things and work through them and heal them. And then you're at a place where, of course, there's still things that are that have happened. There's still things you have to work through that are hard, but you have so much more of a capacity to work through them. And for me now, even being someone that still drinks, I, you know, I like don't feel, especially when I'm going through something intense, I don't want the alcohol. Like I want to feel it all and completely be myself through whatever the process is. It's like once you take the step to heal, I, I don't know, you don't even want to turn to alcohol as a coping strategy because 
once you like allow yourself to feel everything and realize that there's like beauty in the hard times and the pain and everything we get to experience. Yeah. Um, even on my worst days, I really think to myself, and this sounds che- maybe a little cheesy, but I, I really think these words, at least I'm sober, at least I'm sober, at least I'm sober. Um, and, and for me, that that involves never drinking again. And for you, it might not. And I think that's fine. Um, and I think everyone's journey is absolutely unique. And it's so important for us to recognize that this without judgment or expectation about what other people should do because we don't know what their traumas are. We don't know what their purpose this life is, you know. Um, We only know our own truth and we know our own truth in a really divine sense. And our only job is is to work towards um, living in the most authentic way possible and and sharing our truth. Um, And and for me, that no longer involves alcohol because I'm an all or nothing person <laughs> and there's no, there's no in between. And I, I know that, I know that to be true about me. I know I'm an intense person. And um, yeah, so, so for me personally, alcohol is no longer part of the picture. Um, but I also recognize that it once was and that's okay. Yeah. I, th- I think just like in your conversation too, and what we're, what we're bringing up that isn't, you know, quote, alcoholism, isn't a rock bottom, isn't getting blackout drunk every night. It's just this subtle, this subtle current in our society of people using alcohol to cope and it being so normalized and really not slowing down, not spending time with yourself and having a drink every day after work. You're so far from yourself. You have no idea what you're feeling and processing every day. Like there's no way to when you're living like that yeah um that's one of the things i'm passionate about changing and i think one of the most powerful ways to do that is to live authentically a sober life you know and to say hey this is what i got going on and it's pretty cool and i feel everything and sometimes it hurts but i never regret anything like the the amount of regret i've eliminated in my life is is incredible but to, to speak to the societal issue, it's it's really interesting. If I had to recommend a book on the topic that speaks really well to it, it's Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. I read that book early in my sobriety, and I it really it woke me up to a lot of things, um, one of them being the misogyny that's actually involved with AA, and that's one of the reasons that I'm um, – making it a, you know, a life goal of mine to create a community of sober women that's outside of the AA culture, because I think that's great. And I think it works for a lot of people. And I think you should do whatever works for you. But I don't think there's an alternative community for people like me um, that you're alluding to that so many people are taught in in high school that drinking is cool, one. Um, that it's some cool club that we need to be part of. I remember in high school just so bad wanting to look cool and what an easy way to do that to get, you know, fucked up on a Saturday night, <laughs> you know? And to me, that that was the epitome of being cool. Another thing, I always wanted to be older, right? So drinking was a way for me to appeal, uh, appear older to my peers, blend them with older guys, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that's an important thing to highlight when we're talking about the undercurrent 
of uh, drinking culture and in the U.S. specifically. I think it's a global um, thing that's happening, but I think we can narrow it down just to the U.S. from our experience, speaking from our own experience. Um, And then I think it's really interesting, too, to think about as women – specifically what have we experienced what what sort of cultural norms do we have to overcome to be sober sober curious um a big one for me is this wine culture thing which (laughs) i think i don't feel pressure often to drink but when i do really tune into the societal pressure i think it's it's the wine thing and i i for the life of me can't figure out the appeal of that um but I think this is true for women and men that we want to be part of the, the culture, the end. We want to be in the group and um, drinking is a way to commiserate almost. And it's a way to attempt to find connection, but you're really just looking for this validation. So we want to be part of the group and that's a validating experience rather than connecting with people on this really high, um, high vibe level. But um, if you have any other specific ideas surrounding the cultural implications of drinking in a society, I'd love to talk about them because it's it's something I'm really still trying to figure out how to articulate because it's such a it's such a big thing. It's such a big concept, and it is what you were saying. I was something that I'm just passionate in general, but something that I think like would be key and helping people not use alcohol as like a crutch for emotions um, is just teaching kids earlier what emotions are, how to feel your feelings, and have like an emotional intelligence program in our education system would be so key. And I think a lot of like the way we try to teach kids about drugs or alcohol is shame and fear-based and we know this doesn't work and part of AA you know if that works for you then that is great but I think there is a component of I'm always an addict if I'm here and I most people and a lot of spiritual people don't want to resonate with I will forever be an addict you grow and evolve and you change and you don't have to carry this like name tag label of that And I I think it's just like learning ways to teach in our society alternate paths and moving away from these really fear-based methods of trying to teach people about drugs, teach people about alcohol. Wow. Yeah. What a, what a powerful insight. Um, Leaning into our emotions is a scary thing to do as human beings and switching the gear to men now, I try not to generalize about men, and I'm not a man, so I can't speak from a man's perspective, but I, I choose to love men this lifetime. So um, um, I think especially young boys are taught, don't cry, you know, man up, don't feel your emotions, all these things. Girls, I mean, along the same vein, girls are taught big girls don't cry right Fergie (laughs) you know um girls are taught you're tough and I've I've spoken to this publicly before you're tough if you can shoot whiskey and not drink that fruity drink 
you you fit in with the boys and that's what you ought to be doing from a young age we're taught this so it's going to take this real generational leap for us to go from a place where alcohol is the dominant paradigm to where even you know sober curiosity is a dominant paradigm my goal by the end of my life and i know i can't do this alone so maybe a goal isn't the right world uh, word i think hope might be a better word i want us to look at alcohol the way we look at cigarettes you know you don't say like hey why aren't you smoking i mean maybe someone says that at a party or something but um or uh, Traver said this in our interview too. He said, "Why aren't you doing heroin? Like what? Like I don't trust people that don't do heroin." And it's just like that's so ridiculous, right? And I just want us to view alcohol as more of this like negative choice that we make, um, or or at least for us to be aware of the negative things that surround it, and then we make the choice anyway. Like I don't think. I mean. Tons of people still smoke, right? But it, it has this negative stigma attached to it. Um, and I think if we thought more about drinking is like, yeah, it's not really good for me, so I'm, I'm not going to do it, or I'm only going to do it once in a while. Like, I'm not standing up here on some mountain as, as a guru saying, I don't do anything that's bad for me. Like, I still eat sugar. <laughs> bad for you. You know, I probably have a cup of coffee too late once in a while. Bad for me, right? I um, also, like, I, I'm not optimizing my health in every way possible. Um, and I'm not optimizing my spiritual life in every way possible either. You know, I'm not sitting and meditating for 20 minutes every day like I'd like to be, you know? So I think it's important that sober people, and I'm speaking of myself specifically, like, stay off this high hill of, like, hey, I'm just so great. Well, it's like, no, there's one aspect of my life that I'm sure about, and that's that I don't want to drink, and I'm still working on everything else. Um, I don't know. Did we just get off topic from the community thing? No, I, I, think, I think this is great, and it's just like it's unpacking like so many different parts of the problem. And yeah, I think to get people on board with making a change in their life, shame is not the answer. Shame and fear is not going to make anyone want to change. I think with trying with alcohol too, I, I think me as someone that tries to drink mindfully, what's really important for me is before I'm going to have a drink, am I stressed? Am I sad? Like taking an emotional inventory. And if I'm any of those things, choosing not to drink. Yeah. And and asking yourself, this is a, a thing Leela um and she she speaks very openly about her journey with quitting drinking. And for a long time she would ask herself, is this adding something to my life? And if it is, then take the drink, right? But I agree that shame, which is such a powerful thing, and it's different than guilt, right? Guilt is something we feel about our past actions. Shame is something we feel about ourselves. So recognizing that those two things aren't going to get someone individually or a society any closer to this higher ground that we speak of metaphorically in the spiritual world um, is really important. You can't make anyone want to quit drinking. And I think that's why as a leader, 
and as a sober woman, like one of the most powerful things I can do is share my story authentically and live an authentic life in the hopes that what I'm saying resonates with people and they'll be inspired to, to lead a similar path. But that's all I can do is live authentically. Yeah, I think it's just like it's changing. It's changing the dialogue and sharing your story and sharing your thoughts to allow other people to question things that we've normalized as, you know, it's five o'clock somewhere, like my after work drink or like happy hour with the people from work. And like, these are like, it's like such a normal thing for people to like need their drink after work and all of these things. And I'm like, you know what I do after work? I like exercise and meditate and get a good night's sleep. And I do all these things that, you know, fuel me to be my best self the next day for work. And yeah, sometimes on the weekend, I do choose to have a drink and I'm happy that I choose those things, but I can't imagine just like choosing a drink every single day. And that is a lot of people's reality. And I think a lot of people are trapped in that because of the things they're running away from if they didn't drink. Yeah. If you, if you picture a wound, right? Imagine you're a little kid and you scrape your knee riding your bike or something and you go home. This is, no, this is a bad analogy, <laughs> but we're going to roll with it. So imagine you like scrape your knee and you just keep putting a bandaid over it forever or like, I don't know, something like that. And it's just not getting any better, but you just keep doing the same thing. Maybe this analogy will work out after all. <laughs> you just like, you keep doing the same thing. And then your mom's like, oh, why don't we put some Neosporin on it? And it gets better instantly. And that's like the Neosporin is, is trauma work. <laughs> and the Band-Aid's alcohol. You know? I don't know. But I'm just, like, Amazing. if you imagine, not my best work. <laughs> but if you imagine like just putting a Band-Aid over a wound that's not healing instead of going to the doctor and getting help or something, which is what... Uh, like unpacking our traumas does then you know that's what drinking is and if like for me I recognized that I was using it that way and I was using it for a lot of negative ways and I think I do have an addictive personality I mean I don't identify as an alcoholic but I am an all or nothing person I'm like all in all the time you know so uh it can't be any booze for me um I keep repeating that because I don't want people to think that because I'm sharing my story and you can, you resonate with it, that your story has to be exactly the same in order for you to be successful in whatever you do. You know, I think it's important that, um, for me, this is what, what my truth is. It might be the same for you and it might be different. And that doesn't make me any better or worse than you or anything like that. Yeah. I think like the idea of like mindful drinking, is that a term yet? If not, I should coin it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think it's, I think it's a, a term. I think sober curious is what's used in the community most often. Um, yeah, and I'd, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on it. I just I just know for me it didn't work. And I like after I quit drinking the first time, I was like, I have a new elevated perspective on booze, and I'm only going to drink. And then it was like the opposite of that. Like I went face down <laughs> the drinking parade um, once I moved um, to seek that validation we're speaking of when you move into a new place. So for me, it didn't work. Um, but I'm not, that's not to say it won't work for other people. Yeah, I think, I think for me, once I was aware with drinking, it didn't, it was 
it didn't like amplify my drinking behaviors. Me and drinking were better from that point forward because I, you know, I wasn't using it to cope with anxiety. I wasn't using it to be more myself. It felt nice to just be like, I'm having this drink. I don't need to have more because someone says I need to have more. I can have two drinks and go out to a bar and dance like a freak (laughs) or a weirdo or whatever. Or I can choose to have no drinks and go to a bar and dance exactly the same. And like just being like so aware of it changed things for me. And that's not to say that there aren't still times when I drink more than I would want and feel like, oh, that wasn't my highest self. But I still feel like it's in alignment to not completely quit because I think a lot of my journey has actually been not being an all or nothing person. Like I've found a lot of peace in the gray area just personally in my journey. And I I feel like I was such a black and white person that I live now, like every single day is gray and in between in both perspectives now. And like I live a very not black and white life now. So it just feels like, I guess, with alcohol that that I couldn't have it all or nothing. And I think something that it makes me think of too is that I struggled with like disordered eating. And a big thing with that is like also not doing all or nothing behaviors, if that makes sense, like having a little bit of everything. And like like in the disordered eating community, like a big thing is intuitive eating. So I think it's like mindful and intuitive drinking, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. No. And I think your story is awesome. And I think you're completely entitled to to live that life. And I think it's beautiful and awesome. Um, and I recognize that it's different than mine. And I think that's something as women is super important um, just to recognize that we're we're all beautiful in our own ways and all our stories are the same. Um, beautiful in their own way, that is. Yeah. I was going to – what I was going to say is that when it comes to drinking, I think we have to set boundaries. And as long as the boundary is there, I think we're, we're doing a lot of the work that's going to create a more mindful community, which um, at the end of the day is what I'm really passionate about creating is a more mindful world. Every time I teach you, I say we create mindful thoughts, words, actions, life, world. Um, and I think setting boundaries surrounding drinking is the work that's going to do that. So for me, it's a hard boundary, right? I can't drink. I will never drink again. It's not something I can allow in my life in order to thrive. For you, in order to thrive, your boundary might not be as harsh. And I think um, you said something really awesome too. And he said, I'm trying to live more in the gray and not be so damn hard on myself. And I think um, as women, especially, we tend to be so harsh on ourselves and creating boundaries that are, are firm yet porous in a certain way can be a really powerful way um, to live authentically uh, as long as the boundaries there, and it sounds like with you it is, and it's something you can stick to. It's a it's a boundary you can see and feel and tell other people about. What I find when I tell people I don't drink, period, is that it's a firm boundary, and they don't they don't push on it. They don't say, "Oh, do you want to drink?" But well, the first time I quit drinking, I mean, I might have said something like, "Oh, I'm not drinking right now," right? <laughs> you see the difference in the boundary there. So if you were to go out and say, I'm not drinking, period. 
and, and set that boundary, even though a week from now you might have a drink and you could just say, I'm having one period. I think the ability to set boundaries around drinking is what the sober and the sober community, sober, sorry, the sober and the sober curious community have in common. Um, and that I think that ultimately that's the work that's really going to start to shift the paradigm surrounding drinking. Yeah. And something that I thought of with this too, and just with so many of the things that we all want to change in our world and so many of the things that like 2020 has shown us is I think it is like a really important place to be in like the duality of two things, two things that are opposites, like being true. And that's something that I've learned a lot from Tantra is like, there's this saying in Tantra that when you're holding two opposites at the same time as true, at the same time, you're close to truth, which I think is really interesting. And like you said, I think so many people, not so many, but a lot of people get into the spirituality work and they're like, this is the way you have to do everything. And that doesn't empower people to also want to join. Empowering people to find what works for them, what is powerful for them is so important and also allowing for that to change. You know, I'm, I'm totally open for two years from now. I decide, no, alcohol is not something I want in my life ever. And then five years from that time, that being ever and me changing. And I, I think just knowing yourself and knowing what is best for you is so important, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But I, I have two kind of other questions that have come up about kind of dating without alcohol and then drinking in the family. Oh, I love these topics. So <laughs> let's get at them. Um, yeah. So I guess, which one do you want to tackle first? Do you care? Well, you said dating first. So let's, let's start there. Cause okay. there's some things to be, to be said that are interesting and I can speak from experience. Yeah. I definitely would love to hear more just about, you know, I think it's so interesting that the first date when we try to connect with someone and see if they're going to be a long-term partner, it's usually when you're intoxicated, um, but you can't yeah. really make those judgment calls super clearly. Um, so I, I think that is really interesting and something that I've like thought in myself for a long time, just observing behaviors in my family and when fights occur, um, they're usually after drinking and it's the same fight every night with the same theme after drinking. Um, And I I think just for myself personally, with a long-term partner, I want someone that drinks very rarely because I don't want that to be a part of our, our relationship and clouding things. And I don't want that to be something that's modeled to my, my children one day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a powerful insight at the end too. Um, So just to kind of start at the beginning, like I said earlier, when I when I got sober for the first time this time, I was at the end of a very emotionally trying relationship. And I choose my words carefully because I I was contributing to that as much as he was. And it was it was a mess <laughs> all around. And I it ended very badly. But one thing I will say about our relationship is we drank a lot. Um and he would allude to the fact that I drank too much, but he would drink just as much on his own. And um we it wasn't like we drank and we got in fights it was like 
we drank because every time we saw each other, it was some sort of novel experience and we wanted to have fun and party, which is, is a bizarre thing to do in the context of a relationship. But anyways, my sobriety actually started because him and I decided we we're going to do this 30-day cleanse thing after Christmas. And um, my sobriety date's January 5th. So we, we decided, because obviously I couldn't start on the 1st because I had to drink at New Year's. <laughs> um, so we, we were doing this 30-day sober thing and I was like, and I was working with the coach and I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep going. This feels good. And he started drinking again. And then um, that relationship fell apart. And a, a couple months went by and I have been doing a lot of work and getting really clear on what I wanted in a partner. I think this is a, uh, part of a larger topic of conscious dating that I think should be discussed. And I think you have discussed on this podcast um, where we get really clear on what we want so that way we can weed through the bullshit anyway. Um, but I went out with a couple guys, some of which were sober, um, some of which drank in front of me, which was always bizarre to me. And they'd always be like, well, I'm going to still drink. Is that okay? And I went on one or two dates and then ultimately they didn't go anywhere because I recognized that the next person I was with needed to be um, not necessarily completely sober, but like you said, just really like drinking wasn't a part of their life. But it took it took me dating to realize this, like, because as a newly sober person, I wasn't quite sure. I was like, well, you know, maybe I can be with someone who drank. And then I went on a couple of dates, and I was like, hell to the no, no, I cannot be with someone that um, drinks. So my boyfriend now, Eric, he's um, he's great, and he doesn't drink, and I think that's been one of the things that's been really great about our relationship. Um, and he's not sober in the same way I am like he might have one drink a year you know that sort of thing um but we've in the time we've been together he's never had a drink and it's been awesome and the thing I'll say about our relationship without going into any like personal details is that I've had the most communicative relationship with him that's a hard word (laughs) uh relationship with him that I've ever had with a partner and we're able to get to a level of one intimacy but two just like true connection where we can say hey like you're like one day he was like you're falling into a victim mentality and I was like what he's like yeah you have really porous boundaries about this thing and I was like oh my god like (laughs) so to like I have a man be able to communicate like that is awesome anyway but I think because we're always sober, we're always in the space where we can communicate rather than fight. And that's not to say we don't have arguments because we do, because we're in a relationship and those things happen. But when we have fights, they're always resolved. You know, it's not, it's not this angry fist bottle throwing like argument. It's, Hey, I have a problem. Even if I'm super upset about something, it's like, Hey, I have a problem. And we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about it because we're both at the mental capacity to do so and that wow I mean just articulating it now it's just it's so different than any relationship I've had before where booze was a cornerstone of it where we would go out and drink on Friday nights like that's not what we do like we're you know we go hiking or we go surfing or we do all these things that have nothing to do with going out and um, drinking or drinking at home and it's been really amazing yeah I'm just like feeling into that and 
I don't know. It's just so nice. I had like a short relationship a year ago where it was the most communicative that I'd had before. Um, but obviously shorter and we, we did still drink and I learned a lot from that as well of like the only fights we got in were when we were drinking and like one of us would end up like crying and it was like completely, it would have not even been an issue and just observing fights with people when they're drinking. It's like circular. It's not actually about this is an issue we have to bring up and solve. It's about like poking at people's insecurities or being like overly sensitive. And I don't know, it, it, it's just really hard to have a relationship which is already challenging and then throw that into the mix and feel like you guys are completely on the same page. So I'm just really happy to hear that your relationship is like that now. And Yeah. And I think it's important to know too that we feel everything because we don't drink, <laughs> which can be a little intense sometimes. You know, it's like, so when we drink, we're numbing our feelings. And I think one of the I use the word cornerstone a lot but one of the cornerstones of our relationship like our relationships as human beings is like this interaction of feelings it's like a give and take thing um so when we're arguing and we're numbed right we can't feel our feelings then we're just spewing shit at each other because the root of our problem is most likely this feeling that we're having and when we can't feel anything we're not going to solve the problem so like you said, it's just going to be the circular mess of crap <laughs> coming out of each other's mouths. And I think sobriety is a really powerful tool in a relationship to communicate openly, authentically, full of emotion, and in a way that's going to resolve things. That's healing the trauma. It all goes back to healing the trauma. Completely. And I, I can just um, imagine like arguments that I've seen or think back to arguments I've seen. It's like, you always are this way or you always do this thing is like the theme. And like what the feeling under that is, I don't, I don't feel met right now. I don't feel heard right now. I don't feel like you're paying attention to my feelings or my needs. And and in the case of what I'm talking about in this scenario, the people don't have the tools to communicate <laughs> that effectively. But it's it's a, it's interesting being an aware and observing those fights with alcohol and knowing like, oh, probably the underlying feeling that needs to be communicated is just never getting communicated, and it's it's sad. Yeah, it's it it really is sad. <laughs> um, and I think of how. Maybe this is a tad bit off topic, but I wanted to bring it up at some point anyway. How do I start this conversation? Two nights ago, I watched uh, this movie on Netflix. It's called Enola Holmes. It's it's really cute. Um, but, it was, you know, it's kind of like a kid's movie and it's very fun and light. And like after I finished it, I just started crying and I was like, my inner child is so proud of me right now. And I'm like, like bawling my eyes out I'm like I've done all this traveling and I've I've become the woman I wanted to be when I was little and it was like this overwhelming feeling of like really being really like overjoyed but also sad like nostalgic. Um, I've had those feelings before yeah it's it's intense and <laughs> I think when we get sober and when we're looking for activities or things to do um that light up our soul are often the things we wanted to do as children. And um, 
So it makes it makes our inner child really happy, and that's like a new level of emotion that I think we don't talk about very often. Um, and I think it. I don't know if if we're gonna talk about family stuff, it's like things that like sometimes my teacher says that we should be the person we needed when we were younger, you know. And I think when we talk about alcohol, that's a really important thing because we often just need to sit in front of our inner child and be present and feel those emotions. And the same when we're in a partnership, the same when we're talking about any sort of relations. So I, I was going to connect that somehow, but I just wanted to throw out how the inner child stuff's related to emotions and how powerful it's been for me to really connect and actually like feel that. I've never felt that before. I never felt that when I was drinking because I was just suppressing everything. To be able to connect with that little girl inside me on a real level has been a really cool thing that's happened recently. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Also a little bit off topic, but I've I've had this feeling of this year and it coming to a close that I'm ending um, like a four-year cycle. Um, I just had like a really bad trauma that happened in 2016. And when I went through that time, I wasn't exactly quitting drinking, ex- except I, I was not drinking because I was just going through so many things. I just was, I wasn't eating. I wasn't, I was just like in stress mode 24 seven. But during that time I can remember, um, I can actually remember calling my dad and being like, I just don't remember like how to have fun anymore. Like all we do at college is drink. And like, I, I just feel so alone and I don't know how to have fun anymore. And I just like, I'm like, I just want to go back. I don't want to do this adult thing. And I just miss fun that was like clear and happy and fulfilled. And I've actually had that, had that realization in high school um, at one point too, of just like, I don't want to do this drinking thing anymore because my friends suck and I just want to be clear. Um, I actually had that thought when I was like 15, but It's interesting that when you kind of like stop drinking, like you realize how many activities there actually are that we've just substituted going out for drinks with. Yeah. And I think this goes back to the dating thing you wanted to talk about. It's like you get to not only experience another person more clearly and authentically, but you get to experience what truly lights their soul up. Because I believe what lights our soul up is the same exact stuff that lit that little girl's soul up when we were little. And to see what my partner, like what lights his soul up, is so amazing too. Like it's like this giddy excitement feeling that you can only experience sober. You can't when you're like dampen. That's really what it is. It's a dampening of light. And um it's it's a really unique experience when you're in a relationship with another person just to kind of tie that in. But um I, I would love to talk about family stuff too because I think that's going to be a unique experience for every person and I think it's going to be um, important thing to focus on when you're getting sober or the things we incurred when we were young and even now as adults with our family. Definitely. And I know in, in your live with Traver, you talked about just seeing family members and wanting to have them not drink to be more connected with them. And yeah, uh, I've, I've struggled with drinking my family members a lot <laughs> and had to like accept that I can't change them but that I'll never stop trying in a way. Wow. Yeah. Let's just let that sink in for a second. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. 
it's it's like this reverse parenting thing that I think happens or it doesn't have to be your parents but any sort of like reverse parental role thing that happens in our 20s because I think it on some level we feel like we have our shit figured out and it's like but this is the way like I can wash towels with clothes and it's gonna be okay mom <laughs> she's just like no this is the way I've always done it and this is the way I will do it until I die <laughs> you know yeah. um but yeah I think it's it's a really common phenomenon this like reverse parenting thing when we start to figure our shit out and it's like resonating for us we're like but this is the way and I think when drinking for me it's been I, probably frustrating for my family on some level um and I recognize that too but it it's it's been hard um but do you do you have any specific ideas about it or do you just want to kind of jam on the idea for a minute jam on the idea yeah I think for me I'll just like share I guess some of my experience and see if this is like something that you've had too I think you know you obviously if I didn't say this in the show I'll say it in the intro but me and Alex grew up together you know she knows my family but um you know my dad he was always like the fun dad and all of these things and you know, I don't think my dad is an alcoholic, but I do think that sometimes he drinks too much and he doesn't drink mindfully and he gets in arguments with my stepmom because he's drinking and that to an extent he doesn't, he still has fun, but he is still, you know, he has a drink every day and that's not something that I resonate with. And last Christmas, I stayed sober the whole time um, and mainly stay sober around my family because I am very, I'm a lot more triggered by things if I even have one drink and I'm around them. Um, I'll just start crying <laughs> about something. Um, and it's I, a I think- a powerful insight to have. Definitely, definitely staying sober around my family. The more trauma work you do, the more inner trial healing. And um, I think it's, it's interesting with my mom because um, with her drinking behavior, I recently in 2019 kind of put pieces together with her drinking behavior that I never had before and kind of realizing that she has a bottle of wine or maybe two a night a lot of times and having to accept that I like couldn't really change that but being like self-aware enough that I know why she's using it and wanting to just like guide her to other options and and reflecting reflecting on my own life and realizing that the times me and my mom got in a fight when I was younger were from drinking and that it makes her mean and oh, yeah it's you just you just want to tell people to stop and you can't do yeah. it yeah it's I've had a lot of that and um but I think the hardest thing and this I just had an experience yesterday or the day before (laughs) surrounding this is my family more than anyone doubts that I'm going to say sober because they've known me the longest and they've seen me drink since I was 14 at family parties like I've been I've been drinking like I was 21 since I was 16 for sure like I would say by the time I got to college I was drinking daily at 18 you know and um they doubt more than anyone that I'm going to start drinking again. And I don't think um, this is necessarily true for the people that see me the most because they know 
how dedicated I am to this and they know a little bit more about what I have going on. But for a lot of my family, they'll just like, oh, when you're ready, we'll, we'll enjoy this wine together. That's what was said to me the other day. I was like, I'm like, I'm never going to be ready. <laughs> I'm going to let you in on that little secret now. Like, you're like, just... you leave like a note at, the, like you have a business card that just says, I'll never be ready every time you leave a family. I like hid it in the house because I didn't want her to give it to me. Like, I just like, what? I'm never going to be ready. And um, then they say things like, oh, since you're not drinking right now. And what I do in these situations is just take a deep breath, one. And then two, just recognize that I know my truth and that's the important thing. And all I can do is live authentically. And just like I can't convince them to quit drinking, I can't convince them that I'm never going to drink again. The only way I can do that is just do it every day. And um, so that's been one of the hardest things surrounding family for me is like this doubt. And it's not that they doubt me as a person. It's they, they've known me for a long time. I've been sober almost 10 months. Um, and, but I've been drinking for 10 years when I quit, which is crazy to think about, but you know, that, that is what it was for the majority of my life. So, so like you said, I recognize where this idea is coming from, but it's also just freaking hard to hear from your family. Um, so I guess if I were to give advice to people that resonate with that comment, cause I'm sure a lot of people do is just know your truth, stand firm in your truth. And the people closest to you will support you, you know, like my closest friends, my partner, my mom, they're all, they're all secure in what I got going on and will defend me in it. Um, but it can be hard. Yeah. It's when you said that too, I think I'm just thinking back to just when you like start to heal and you start to make changes that are the new you that you don't want to go back to the old one. People that knew you as the person you were before are uncomfortable by the change and it was when I was going through this like change and transformation of being my most authentic self and unlearning all the things I had done before it was really hard for me to be around my family because they knew me as the person I was before and I played a certain role in the family that I would no longer play anymore and that made people uncomfortable yeah what a what a great way to put it Um, and I think just talking spiritually, that's one of the things that especially people in the U S cannot get a grip on is this idea that it's okay to be uncomfortable. I say this when I teach yoga all the time. I'm like, discomfort is okay. Like you're going to make it through this posture. Pain is not okay. Right? Like you don't need to be putting yourself through pain every day, but it's okay to be uncomfortable because that's, that's where change happens. Right. Change happens past our where we're comfortable and before our edge that's that's where change happens and people are so unwilling to be uncomfortable and um I think you're right like that's a that's a great realization to have is like when I'm thriving that's gonna make some people uncomfortable because they don't recognize the low level human I was functioning as before um but again it's just something we have to push through and be sure of ourselves I know my truth I say that to myself all the time I know my truth Yeah. And I think like we really like in a great way interwoven kind of that conversation with alcohol and then like the reasons people drink and emotions and how that plays a role in the family. And I guess like the last thing that I wanted to mention that was on my mind about this is just um, just the experience when you go to a place when people normally drink and 
you know, what you say about that. I know when I wasn't drinking for a month, I, I made a point of going to bars and drinking soda water and like seeing what people would say about it. Cause it was like interesting to me. Um, especially on the Outer Banks, but (laughs) I would go to bars and it was like I was being harassed because I didn't want to drink or they were like, come on, just drink. And I I saw your recent post that was related to that. So I think Mm -hmm. that can be interesting for people too. I think one of the things about getting sober during COVID is that I'm not going out to bars or anything. Um, But I think I'm at a point in my life where that just doesn't appeal to me anymore like I think I've done my time in bars and I think I'm done going out late night that's not to say I want to say you know um Eric's co-workers want to go out one night and they invite me along I would I would definitely go and I want to have a problem with that but it's not something like every Friday night I'm gonna get ready and go out I'm just that part of my life is just over um but yeah so what happened the other day is um, my friend and I were getting lunch and we sat at the bar because we were just trying to have a quick meal and we ordered waters, and a guy was sitting there pounding Coronas at lunch. And I, I start the story by saying I sympathize with lunchtime Corona guy because that was once me. I was once looking for any opportunity I could to drink, um, and so I get it, and I, I, I'm compassionate for him. So I'll start the story by that. But he just leaned over and he goes, "Not having a boozy lunch today, huh?" And I was like. And actually, my friend responded and said, we don't drink. And I was like, damn, okay. Yes, we don't. And then he was like, oh, that's cool. I did Whole30 once. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, like, it's, it, it's, it's cool. And I'm like, yeah, it, was, it completely changes your life. I remember saying that. So then, whatever, he goes about his time. And he doesn't push us to drink, which I'll, I'll mention in a minute. And then the bartender is complaining because her back hurts a little bit, like she pulled her back. And she's like, oh, I think I'm going to take a nap, Bill. And he's like, oh, well, booze would help with that. And she's like, yeah, memory serves it would because she's quit drinking too. So this guy, and I think this is really typical if we pay attention, is seeking validation for what he's doing because he doesn't feel good about it at a soul level, right? And I think, um, I'm trying to remember how I phrased it, but I think I said something like people that aren't working on their traumas are going to seek validation for how they're patching things up. You know what I mean? Um, because all that, all that guy's doing is patching his wounds and he's, he's seeking validation for how he's doing that and being constantly denied that I think is one of the ways we can shift people think about alcohol. It's just, you know, I, it's not like I'm leaned over to that guy and was like, Hey, have you ever thought about not having Corona's at lunch? You know, he leaned over and said, why, why aren't you drinking? And we just said, Oh, we don't drink. And that's like, Oh, you know, and I think that's one of the powerful ways we can shift things. Um, but this guy was pretty tame compared to most. I've had people get in my face and say, you need to have a drink. Why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you drinking? And this all goes back to boundaries, right? I think if we're firm, no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, obviously you want to be surrounded by people that support you whenever you can. Um, and if you're new in sobriety, one, I wouldn't suggest going to bars. And two, if you do, I would go with someone else that's not drinking. Um, but setting these clear boundaries like, I don't drink, period. You don't say anything else. I think when we, in early sobriety, we're like, I don't drink. And then I, but I did for a long time, but I just don't anymore. And it's like, it's not something I do. And I'm really trying hard not to do it. And it's like, no, (laughs) you don't have to, you don't owe those people an explanation, right? You can just say, I don't drink. 
period in the story. And when you set a boundary that firm, people aren't going to push you on it. Um, so as far as going out and doing things that are typically done or have been done in the past when you were drinking, I would challenge you if you're listening or you Madeline specifically, like the next wedding you go to don't drink, you know, or like try, or like you said, you didn't drink at Christmas. That was one of the main times I wanted to drink, you know, like props to you for that. Um, like try to do things. If you're so, if sober curious is something you're interested in, in exploring, being sober curious, just try to do these things that are typically associated with booze, without booze, and you'll realize how quickly your social interactions elevate, how much more fulfilled you feel the next day, how the lack of regret. That was huge for me. All these things are, are shifts that happen when we don't drink, and I think it's very powerful to go into social interactions whether it be at a bar or a party or a wedding or a concert, like go to a concert sober and just really experience what it's like, you know? And um, yeah, it, it, it'll shift your whole world. It's funny. And in, in you saying that um, <laughs> the one time that I actually did drink over Christmas last year was with you. Um, oh, and yeah. I- <laughs> I had one drink and then I came home and then I got in a fight with my stepmom and then I started crying and then I was like, yep, I was right. I should have Yeah, I got – actually, my ex and I got in a fight that night too because – you want to – so I think that the bartender was like – didn't want to give me a lime because he was like, you don't remember me. And my ex was like, what? Who is he? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, no, but who is he? You know, like – so it's funny yeah. because that night like a fight resulted from alcohol too. Um, and I think yeah. – <laughs> That just further alludes to the case that that is uh, just what happens when we drink. Yeah. And and this is a, an important thing to bring up because it shows the distinction between you and I. Because you can show up and have a drink. And I I show up and I don't go home till 2 in the morning, you know? Like, that's just – that's why I think it's really nice to have this dichotomy between us of a sober, curious person and a sober person. And – I think someone like you could absolutely make the choice to be sober. And I think someone like me might be able to make the choice to be sober curious because I don't identify as an alcoholic. It's just, it's a choice. And I think we're, we're doing the thing that's going to shift the world, which is set boundaries to create more mindful actions, more mindful life, and in turn, create a mindful world. Definitely. And something just from the last thing you said, I think what you said of, those little comments when people are curious or ask questions or when they are aggressive and judge you, the way you are still has an impact on them. And I think it's important to just be firm in your boundaries. It's interesting with me. I'm This year, my intention was like more stepping into my power. And with that, I have a very low tolerance for people people acting like that so I definitely commend you and just you know holding holding your own in those situations yeah and um what a great intention and I think sobriety is a beautiful way to take our power back as women specifically too I think men too but specifically thinking in the context of women and how much power we can contribute to this world and need to in a in a time like this it's like damn, I can be at full capacity all the freaking time, you know? And and that's a really powerful sentiment. Yeah, well, this this has been such a great conversation. I could 
really talk about this forever. I'm thinking we should maybe do a live about it at some point, but thank you so much for, for doing this. And I'm just super grateful for your friendship and us being on this windy life spiritual path together. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, if anyone listening is interested in a sober, sober, curious community, I, I do facilitate one for um, people that identify as women, and it's called Queer. Um, and basically, it's I'm, I'm passionate about creating uh, a more mindful world full of powerful women. So I think it's, it's really fitting that you use the word power there at the end because women are powerful and I think that the only way we're going to create a more mindful world in our lifetime is by embracing our, our feminine power. Um, so that's what my group is. It's on Instagram as Queer Sober Women. And yeah, I'm, I'm extremely grateful to you and how our friendship and yeah, just connection as humans has developed in our adult life has been, has been awesome. And I'm very grateful for you. Definitely. And I'll have all your links in the show notes. So everyone go check Alex out. And yeah, I'm super grateful for you too. And thank you so much for coming on the show.